This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. Big, big announcement today that caught a lot of people off guard. And that a lot of people don't necessarily know all the details to. But the Hamilton Ticats announced today that they were hiring a new assistant coach. A guy by the name of Art Bryles. And a lot of people went, when the press release came out around 11 this morning, and they said, Art Bryles, uh, that name... Some people said that name rings a bell. Some people up here said never heard it. But then they start looking up Art Bryles, and what you get is, wow. This was a coach who was in charge of the Baylor University football program during probably, and my next guest will tell me if I'm correct on this one, but probably the biggest scandal as far as not scholarships or football, but the biggest scandal as far as personnel, personal scandal in U.S. college history. Dozens, maybe, maybe more, I don't know, of rapes that were not reported to those outside the athletic department. Uh, It is a sad, it is a distressing, it is a complicated, it is a disconcerting story. Paula Levine has actually written a book called Violated. She is from ESPN. The book is all about what happened at Baylor, and she joins me now. Paula, how are you tonight? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you for doing this. I know that today you're probably being, you're talking to more Canadians today than you've ever talked to in your life before. (laughs) Well, I have some some good friends and colleagues who are Canadian, so uh, I can talk to them on a regular basis. But the calls have been coming in, I know, because this uh, suddenly you find yourself, I'm sure when you put out a book, you know there's going to be interest in it, especially a book about this topic, and then all of a sudden you find yourself in the middle of a new storm uh, about our our brain. Can you, just for the people who don't know the story in a minute or two, in the best Reader's Digest version you can, explain to people the background. What happened at Baylor that led to his ouster? Sure. During his tenure, which was from 2008 to 2016, there were multiple football players who were accused of and a couple convicted of sexual assault. And it was uh, it was a problem present in the football program, but also on the campus in general. And in 2015, the university started an outside investigation to take a look at how big it really was. That concluded in May of 2016. And while they found that the that women were being routinely ignored and dismissed across campus who were coming forward to report uh, instances of sexual assault, they found some particularly bad problems within the athletic department, particularly the football program. Uh, cases where women were reporting things to coaches and they were never being taken on further to for disciplinary action, um, women who were being deterred from making reports. And as a result of that, uh, the university fired head coach Art Bryles, demoted uh, President Ken Starr, who would eventually leave Baylor altogether, and suspended uh, former athletic director Ian McCaw, who is a native of Ontario. Of uh, Burlington, yeah, just up the road here, yep. And when this all happened then, and when the fallout happens, how much of what happened do you believe, do you look at how much of this falls on Art Bryles? How much was his responsibility? Well, I mean, as he himself has has admitted, I mean, he was the captain of the ship. I mean, he was in charge of the program. He is the one, you know, it was under his uh, uh, time there that these guys were brought onto campus. They were made part of the program. There were some serious lapses in vetting some of these players before they were brought into Baylor. And, uh, you know, I think people look to him as, as being responsible for this. Um, and, there, you know, there is some evidence that, you know, he was engaged in, in some of the sort of nitty-gritty details of dealing with uh, football players who got in trouble. 
even though he has said in interviews that he distanced himself from some of these decisions, that he was the last to know when he should have been the first to know that he delegated down to his assistant coaches. But I think a lot of people, including the regents, really looked to him as the one who was responsible for this. And, and when they found all of these problems, they decided to hold him accountable. That said, I saw today, and I don't know if it's real. This is the problem with internet stuff. You never know what's real for sure. But I saw today printouts of text messages that apparently had been from his phone that seemed to be rather indicting of him. Are those legitimate? Are those text messages real or were those things made up? No, those text messages are real. Those are in, I mean, we have those text messages inviolated. We um, have several of the text messages where he is, Uh, discussing with assistant coaches how to keep players out of the university's judicial affairs um, program, uh, talking about arranging for attorneys for players, um, discussing, uh, you know, women saying, you know, women, this woman was a fool for reporting an athlete who was uh, allegedly brandishing a gun. I mean, yeah, those those are those are legit. Those those things really were uncovered in in the investigation. But the okay and the university and the independent report that was done though if i'm correct also says to the best that they can find nobody from the athletic department certainly not from the football team ever went to anywhere outside of the athletic department to report these things is that correct uh i mean that's yeah that's what they found in in some of the cases that uh you know that's what i was alluding to earlier there were women who had told assistant coaches or in one case had told a strength coach that uh, that they were assaulted. I mean, one in particular that we haven't violated is a former uh, Baylor volleyball player whose mother told a strength coach that her daughter had been gang raped by football players, and the strength coach takes it upon himself to talk to the football players. Uh, you know, only tells Art allegedly only tells Art Bryles that you know he talked to a woman who was concerned about her daughter, quote unquote, partying, but didn't really relay the full details of what happened. And, and that's it. Like, uh, the, it doesn't go any further until uh, almost a year later, the woman, the former volleyball player, tells her head coach. And after that, it still doesn't get reported to judicial affairs. Uh, so, uh, you know, in, in somewhat to their, uh, what, what they say in their defense, what the, what the coaches in the football program say in their defense was, you know, no one told us that we were supposed to be reporting these things. Uh, to judicial affairs or to anyone at the university, and uh, but you know at the same time, you know, some common sense that if if you're if you continue hearing about these allegations regarding your student athletes, wouldn't you think someone needs to do something? So you know today, I'm sure you've been on Twitter, I'm sure you've been on social media, I'm sure you've been online just to see what other people are writing. There is widespread outrage about him getting a job today. There are some people who support it, but I would say 95 percent or more of what I've seen has been outrage. Can you understand that outrage then based on what you know and what you saw and what you experienced? Is that fair? Is that outrage well-placed? Well, I mean, yeah, we, we even saw that outrage back when it was just even rumored that he might be getting a job here in the States. Uh, you know, I certainly understand the outrage. Uh, there are a lot of people, especially any women who've been the victim of sexual assault or domestic violence, who you know, would say that, that it's a slap in their face that uh, he's allowed to, to be in charge of a, not in charge, but to be, uh, a, a, again, overseeing young men, uh, a role model to them when all of this stuff went down. So, yeah, I, I can clearly understand the outrage.
I know you got to go, but just one more thing before you do, because I wish we could do this for two hours. Honestly, we could fill it. But um, Scott Mitchell, and I know you were asked this question earlier by someone, but Scott Mitchell, uh, who is the CEO of the Ticats, the head of the Tiger Cats, uh, was talking to a colleague of mine. You can read the interview on Three Down Nation, and this quote comes in. Art Bryles is a good man that was caught in a very bad situation. When you hear that, again, knowing the background of everything that happened, what do we take from that then? Because there are people who have been hurt badly. I mean, their lives have been forever altered. Can he ex- can he ex- escape culpability for that? Is he really a good man that just made a simple couple of mistakes that he really shouldn't be held re- uh, responsible for? Or is it more than that? I mean, I think that characterization is... is uh... <laughs> Uh, it, it sort of glosses over what happened. I mean, uh, you know, there are a lot of people who would argue that he's a good man. And, and you know, clearly I I think people who've met him over the years you know, say, you know, if you meet him and you talk to him, he's a good guy. But, I mean, if you look at what happened under his watch and how he responded to it, uh, you know, it, it's it's hard to say that he was the, the victim here when there were so many victims and so many women um, who will be suffering with the results of their assaults for the rest of their lives. I said last thing, but I lied. One more. If down there in Texas, <laughs> if it wasn't here, if it was still down in Texas, would there be any place, pro, college, high school, anywhere, that would allow him to coach right now? Uh, you know, there, I mean, when my colleague Mark Schlebo and I had been talking about this, you know, one of the only possibilities we left was that... Um, you know, he might be an assistant in the NFL. I, I can't imagine any college team taking him. Um, so, you know, where he ended up isn't isn't entirely a surprise. Paula Levine uh, from ESPN. You can read her book. I'm sure you can pick it up at all good bookstores near you. Uh, it's called Violated. It's the story of what happened down at Baylor. Um, probably not uh, uplifting reading, i got to be honest, Paula, but I'm sure it's great reading. Um, listen, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this today. Thanks so much. All right, thank you. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Don, welcome to the show. Scott, how are you? I'm, um... Wound up, never seen this before. I am reflect... I think, I think I'm reflecting the mood of an awful lot of people in this city who are quite frankly shocked and surprised and maybe a little bit appalled that the team that wears their colors and bears their name has, I think, a lot of people seem to say, has let them down today in a big way. Well, it's done one thing. Nobody's talking about them being 0-8. No, well, no. That's, that's what, true. That's what Trump does. Maybe that's the new way to do it. That's this. the new way to do it. We're, uh, let me, um, I'll tell you one thing it won't do. It won't do a whole lot to bolster bringing in younger people from Mac and Mohawk College and the Christian schools. Or women. Or people who know women. Or people that know better. But, Don, i got to tell you... Um, well, let me ask what your thoughts were when you heard this today, because this is, I mean, you would have heard it wherever you were, because I can't imagine anyone in town didn't hear about this somewhere today. What was your thought? I thought it, <laughs> I thought it was pretty ballsy. Um, I agree, you know, they're bringing a Mac coach to be the offensive coordinator, and by the sounds of things, you and I have more to do with her offense than he does. And um, and I'm also, it's, uh, Bob Young must have an awful lot of money because, you know, Ken Austin isn't there for free and they didn't bring Joan Jones in because he was looking for a part-time job. And now they bring a guy in that was likely making over a million dollars a year in college. 
that said, it doesn't appear as if there was any lineup to hire him in no. within United States. And he won't be making a million bucks here, I assure you. And there isn't anybody that I've seen, um, lots of stuff on ESPN, that ever thought he'd get a job coaching in college again and basically said, well, he's up in the CFL. Nothing wrong with the CFL, but it doesn't count. It just, again, to me, this thing... It just smacks of not recognizing how this is going to be met, that you were... uh, See, I think the CFL, of anybody in this, I think the CFL is caught off guard. Because the CFL, the only thing they came out with today, and I can tell you that I called them, I tried to get an answer, all I got was this press release with everyone else, was we are still in discussions with the Ticats about the hiring. Which tells me... If they were settled on this, if they were fine with this, they say, hey, teams can do what they want to do. I think they were caught off guard by the, velo- the the amount and the ferocity, quite frankly, of the people who were tweeting and speaking out and being angry about this. There's no question that the, that uh, everybody involved underestimated the uh, the blowback from a, for a hiring like this. And I don't know the CFL well enough to know if the if head office have to approve all signings or not. It would be interesting if that's their take, that they're still in talks with the Ticats after the Ticats have announced that they've hired them. I find that an interesting statement in the afternoon when it was announced at 11 he's been hired. What happens now if the CFL go take a deep breath, go out and have a brandy and go, wow, this isn't a good idea. So we may not permit this hiring. I don't know if they can veto it or not, but. Well, consider what this league has done though in recent weeks and months, Don, that they have taken a stand. They were the ones in the last few weeks that have had the diversity of strength shirts. Great message. Everyone's happy about the CFL. Hey, look, we support all good things. Then this takes all the air out of that balloon. But before that, months ago in training camp, I believe it was the Saskatchewan Rough Riders tried to sign a player who was charged at the time or had just been acquitted. He was acquitted of a domestic incident, an alleged domestic incident. He was acquitted. He was found not guilty by the courts. And the league still said, based on his checkered past and what we know, no team can sign this guy. So the league has tried at times to take strong positions and to show that they believe wholeheartedly in anti-violence against women. Again, Interval House from Hamilton was helped in, I believe, in preparing the policy. Now you got this. I don't know how the league stands by and says, yeah, we can, we can live with this. We can live with this when it's spread all over. Let me get to Marlene. Marlene is on the line. How are you, Marlene? Good evening. How are you? I'm We're, doing okay, thank you. Yes, I don't think they should brought this Arch Riles in. They shouldn't have never brought him in. They shouldn't give, give him no second chance, period. And uh, I, don't, I think they made a bad mistake to bring him in. See, I'm, I, Marlene, I agree. I appreciate you calling. I, let, me, let me let you go, but I appreciate you calling. Here's the thing. I don't, I'm not against Don. I'm not against second chances. I'm not against second chances. I think people do deserve second chances, but this guy has only been, he was only fired last year in May. He's hardly been out of football. And that I've seen, and I stand here waiting for someone to point to the things that I'm, where I missed something. I haven't seen things about him standing up, taking courses, speaking for women's groups, for sexual assault groups. I haven't seen, surely if he had been doing all those things, if he had been an advocate, an evangelist, that he's turned his life around and he sees what happened and he will never let this happen again, that stuff would have been in the press release today. Would it not have been? 
Would it not have been? You would have made that front and center. Yeah, this is Art Bryles, the guy that got fired, but... Here's the repenting. Here's what he's done, and here's why we're giving him a second chance. I don't see evidence of that. Now, if someone knows of that, please tell me. I've just not been able to find any online. But if someone has seen that, I'd love to know. I, I read Drew Edwards online, and I, re- I read the um, president or the CEO's remarks, and they were laden with second chances and, and what a quality organization they are. And they've never been, you know, been uh, associated with scandal or anything else and take us at our word. And I think the fans will do that. They will, they will judge them. Uh, they will judge if this is a good opportunity to give a guy a second chance or not. And is this the kind of second chances that they want to hand out? Uh, you and I won't judge them, but their sponsors will. I heard you talk about that. The fans will. Now, it may be hard to tell if the fans are boycotting at the next home game. It is the Labor Day game. But I'll tell you, if the Labor Day game is not sold out with their last, should be their last real shot. At even Forget even sold out. If it's not full of people. Like sold out, they've said that most of the games have either been sold out or close to it. And there's so many empty seats. You know that. Yeah, I, I have a little trouble calling some a sellout when you sell tickets and people people buy tickets and won't go. It's hard to call out a sellout. But even if you, see Don, I've argued this for weeks now. To me, it's way more embarrassing for the Ticats based on their record this year that someone would actually, if you're going to say it was a sellout or close to it, that someone would buy a ticket and then decide it's not even worth their while to go. That's worse than not having the place sold out. And if they don't fill the place on Labor Day, that, like Labor Day is guaranteed sellout. Even at Ivor Wynn, when you had 7,000 more seats, roughly, you sold it out every Labor Day. If you do not have every seat in that place full on Monday, I think you can take that as a, as a something that fans are speaking against this kind of thing. I really do. The fans are going to speak with their feet. The, the interesting thing about attendance and sellouts and everything else is I've always thought that in the truest form of things, unless there's a blizzard or a hailstorm or a freak of nature, that you, what your attendance should really be announced is number of people in the building, not how many tickets you've sold. Agreed. Because you can sell all the tickets you want to a charity for a dollar a piece and let them flip them out at 10 bucks and make 9 bucks and say that you sold those 2,000. I guess if that makes you feel good, that's okay. But when you're doing that and the people aren't coming, they should announce the attendance, not the number of tickets allegedly sold. This Monday will be very interesting at Tim Horton Field. Oh, absolutely it will. Absolutely it will. I, I'm, I look I, at this I, whole I, thing. And I, I heard just, you say one of their sponsors uh, is, is asking that he leave. It will be interesting to see how many go public. If one of them... His saying that publicly, how many have called the Ticat office? What do you think Tim Hortons is thinking about having their name associated with this right now? The squeaky clean Tim Hortons, whose name is going to be plastered on the backboard in this whole game. While, and you don't think, T, I mean, TSN, they're going to try and promote their show and get audience, but you don't think they're going to be spending a little time on this one with the, with the story behind this? They're going to swallow hard and they're going to have to talk about it. Have to. I mean, they're not going to be able to escape bringing it up and talking about it. What will be interesting is it'll be a credibility check for them to see if they try and spin it or hit it head on. Because if they try and spin it, they're going to be in the they're going to be in the same boat as everybody else is, offering an opinion then on them and their credibility. It is um, it is a very very interesting thing, and when I say interesting. 
I say, I don't believe that either the CFL or the Ticats expected the outrage today. I don't think they did. And if they did, and I go back to this, if the Ticats expected that this was going to be the outrage, we know that all of North America is going to explode, that columnists all over North America are going to write about this. USA Today is going to be ripping our team. All these other places, CBS Sports, all these places, if we know this is going to be the outcome, and they still said we want to do this because this is the only guy we can get, I go back to my point, then that is nothing but hubris that we are above all the criticisms of the people. And if it wasn't that, then they just misread this thing entirely. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Don, we've been talking Ticast. Let's change course here a little bit because the other massive story from this weekend, well, this wasn't really the weekend, the Ticats, but from this weekend, the other massive story, of course, was the Conor McGregor, Floyd Mayweather fight. Now, I don't want to talk about who won and who lost because clearly Floyd Mayweather, you know, there's no question. He, in boxing, was the better boxer. And that's what they were doing. So he should have been the better boxer. He was 49-0. and 0. He's done this his whole life. Conor McGregor was learning how to box started learning how to box basically four months ago. Quick learner. That's like, that would be like having Wayne Gretzky against, I don't know, some guy who put on goalie pads for the first time four months ago and you give him a hundred breakaways and say, see who stops more pucks or who scores more pucks. You would hope that Wayne Gretzky would score a few. But here's the thing I want to ask you about this because I don't want to get into all the details. By the way, if you're calling for the quiz question, let it ring. Ben will get to you as fast as he can. The lines are ringing. Here's a question I have for you. Anyone who watched it, I was at a bar, I went to Buffalo Wild Wings, I was watching, I know you went to for a while and were watching some of the undercard, other people were watching. If you were watching, you know, because you saw it and every person writing about it acknowledges it. The first three rounds of the fight, Conor McGregor won handily. It wasn't even close. In fact, I believe the punch stat numbers, which are commuterized things, show that in the first two rounds, Floyd Mayweather threw a total of 12 punches. Whether that's because he was pacing himself or he was trying to figure out McGregor, who was a little unorthodox, or whatever the reason, the first three rounds, by pretty much everybody's scoring, handily went to Conor McGregor. After that, Floyd Mayweather took over. And the fight didn't go to the cards, so it didn't matter in the end. But this is what I want to ask you. When the judges' official scorecards came out at the end of the fight, two of the three boxing judges, because they were all boxing judges, gave two of those first three rounds that were lopsided for McGregor, they gave them to Mayweather. Now, at the time they're filling these out, they don't know what's going to happen in the fight. They don't know if it's going to go the distance and go to the cards. They don't know anything. Maybe they're hedging their bet. Well, I'm looking at this going, boxing, it looks like anyway, was never going to let Conor McGregor win this fight unless he knocked Mayweather out. Well, Boxing on, was protecting itself. Not on itself. points. Not on points. That's what I mean. Yeah. But this is this is what is the long way of getting to this. Whether it's boxing, whether it's something else, is there any way to fix judging in sports? We've seen scandals in boxing. We've seen it in wrestling. We've seen it in figure skating. We've seen it everywhere. Is there any way? Because if this had gone to the cards and it had been close later on, this would have been an Again, an outrage. We're all in an outrage state today. Can you imagine if it had ended up being close? Because they didn't know in those first few rounds how the rest of the night would go. If this had been close and that had determined, how do you fix this? How do you make a sport that has judging actually be credible? Because I'm looking at this going, I don't believe after that, I don't believe 
and I learn this every time there's a judged event. I don't believe in judging. I don't, be- I don't trust it. So I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer most of the times, as you know. So you've asked me the question, how do you fix judging in, in boxing? Or how do you fix judging in boxing? I'm not sure which way you want me to. I was not actually using the word fix in that context. But right though, I mean. How do you uh, repair? Let's put it that way. How do you repair Because you can fix it with money. You can buy a guy off and that puts the fix. And I don't, I don't have, there is nothing in my mind, I don't think it's likely. Whether the judges. That he was bought in this case or any of them. I don't think the judges were getting brown paper bags full of money. But the judges are not going to want an MMA guy. Who's just in, learned their sport. Who started 15 minutes before the fight training, come in and beat the only undefeated guy they've got. The greatest fighter of their generation. And the only guy in boxing right now that can sell tickets because I don't even know who's in the heavyweight division. Um, you I don't and think I it, would be. I don't, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'd, look, I'd look like Butterball up there. Um, I don't think you can, um, I don't think you can fix that. Fix it. See, I do. I think there's one way. There's only one way, and I don't know if it's a perfect fix. But computer? I th- not exactly, although that would be interesting. See, the problem with computer is you're also supposed to be gauging power punches, right? You give you give more emphasis on if you hit the guy hard as opposed you to tap, You said Mayweather tap, tap, tap. had 12 punches. Not, right. not, that I recall, maybe one was a solid punch. Okay, but if, and, and, and clearly that was part of his strategy, was rope-a-dope like Ali right. did. Uh, because McGregor got tired at the end. Yep. He got tired of pounding on him. It worked. And that's and Mayweather has won an inordinate amount of fights by taking all kinds of blows that don't hurt him and letting the other guy get tired. Back to your 12 punches. If McGregor threw 65 punches, none of which were, were particularly effective, and Mayweather threw 12, nine of which were right on the bean, then you really got to know an awful lot about boxing. You can't just go by the masses of swings Absolutely and not. hits. And it's also who's been the aggressor, right? Because if you're moving forward, if you're pressing the fight, you get... And so a computer, it would be very... It would be possible. I'm sure it'd be possible, but it'd be difficult to build a computer program that would be able to do everything. But there, I think there is one way that you do this. And that is at the end of every round, the judges' scored or scores are flashed up on the scoreboard. So you're, you are on the hot seat at the end of every round. If you have a round like one of those where it was so lopsided and you, with your name and the spotlight is on you and it says, here's your score, judge, it's like American Idol. And here's Judge John's scoreboard, bing, and it says Mayweather. All right. You are then shown to be a buffoon. For a guy that seems to be adamantly not in favor sometimes, very political, of instant replay and turning over the umpire's decision, then if you do that, that's what you'll be creating. Because then you're going to have the corner man be able to throw in a black towel, not the white one that would end the fight, and say, we want that round challenged. And we can only throw a challenge flag twice. See, I don't think right? it would if ever come to If you're going to publicize that, it. I don't think it would come to that because I think they would be on the hot seat then to be... Well, the fans are going to be all over them. And if you get enough fans... For the right guy in there, they will be very intimidating. Possibly. That could possibly, but I think that would be the but same. You're, you're prepared to let that be part of the show, I assume. I think that would be the same regardless. I think if you've got a lot of fans in there for one guy and your scorecard comes up at the end of the fight and the guy that they're all in favor of, you've given the, every round either for or against, 
and it's unclear whether that was the case, I think that'll show. But we've, no. all, we've all seen boxing matches where the referee stands with both hands and throws the winner's hand up in the air, and you hear this enormous groan because this thing is fixed. We've heard, yeah, you hear complaints right. about that. You Absolutely. See, it used to happen in the old days all the time going, how did they let him win? He knocked the other guy down four times. He won the fight. Yep. This thing's fixed. Hence my confusion on your... Yeah, well, never never more than at the Seoul Olympics when Ray Jones Jr. didn't win the gold medal. And if you can ever find on YouTube the gold medal fight with Ray Jones, who was one of the great boxers of his generation, he beat the other guy into applesauce for the whole fight. It was so lopsided that it was... And, and he lost. And so if those scores at the end of every round were to come up, so the judges... And not just pop up there... But you do it where it's like American Idol, where the spotlight goes on that one judge, and here's his score of that round. Boom, 10-9. And if if you're that, see, I think putting them under the glare of the spotlight would affect them, would make them do it right. It would it would encourage or shame most of them into doing it. It would uh, increase their accountability, I guess, Absolutely is your it point. Would. Absolutely it would. And you would be way less likely to hand in a scorecard and then you're gone. And wh- where's that judge? Well, I don't know. And, and, you know what else? Go and get his bag of money. Force every boxing judge to answer questions of the media after a fight. Well, you don't do that in any other sport. I know, but I'm saying if this is a, we're trying to suggest ways, you and I are brainstorming on ways to fix judging in a sport that has judging problems. So you say, I know we don't do it in other sports, but you are going to have to sit in front of the media and answer questions and explain your decisions afterwards. You don't think that is also going to affect their... So as an MMA McGregor fan... Do you think they awarded the fight to the right guy? Oh, I, look, the fight was, Mayweather won the fight. There's absolutely no question about yeah. that. My issue is. At, it shouldn't even have been that close. No, in the, and in the first three rounds, the judges didn't know what was going to happen in rounds eight, yeah. nine, and 10. This could have been the fight. You could have been affecting the outcome of the fight early on. You don't know. And they were clearly, I think, clearly giving every benefit of the doubt to their guy. Where were the judges from? Russia and Cuba? And I don't know. Isn't that what I they do in the Olympics? Two, I think two were from Nevada. I can't remember now where they. Uh, but again, this and this may have been an. I, look, it may have been a unique situation because you are having two people of different sports, and so maybe it's a natural inclination to see your guy doing better than the other guy because he's your guy. And he is a little crisper or he does things a little more the way you like. Maybe, maybe there's nothing awry about this. But I still think if you force them to be accountable, as you yeah, say, okay. that word accountable, it makes them... Good, bad, or indifferent, it will have an effect on the outcome and hopefully a positive one. If that were to happen, have you ever heard any word of that? Or did that just come out of your... No, I'm just, I'm just trying to... And, and you know what? This should happen with figure... Now, figure skating, it's different. You clearly didn't have time to think about that today. You must have thought about it on well, the weekend. Well, figure skating is... Figure skating has had this in place and there's still been cheating. So it's not a perfect scenario... The difference is with figure skating, the judges only put up a score once at the end. With boxing, you're going to have to do it six rounds, eight rounds, 10 rounds, 12 rounds. You might still cheat if you might well, still give it to your guy for a round or two, but it's, it's going to be harder to do it It's the same two guys all the time, but actually they judge 15 rounds or whatever number of rounds it goes. Figure skating, they do 15 contestants. So if you look at it that way, it's they're judging 15 different people in boxing. They're judging the same two guys zero to 15 times. I was, I was, when I saw those scorecards. Credibility would change. 
Well, you know, when I was Perhaps saying I saw not. those scorecards, I just thought this is boxing as a sport. I had Vinny Ryan on here on Thursday night. Vinny is a terrific guy. So he runs McGrory's Gym in Hamilton. He's a coach of amateur boxers, provincial, national, international. And Vinny acknowledges, as, as we all do, boxing has its troubles right now. There are in North, not in Europe, in Europe and over there, they are still wild about boxing. But in North America, there is no Mike Tyson right now. No, there's no heroes. There is no Sugar Ray Leonard right now. You know, they showed before the fight, they were scanning the crowd. And one of the people they showed was Thomas Hearns, who got a huge, Thomas the Hitman Hearns, who got a huge ovation. Thomas Hearns last probably fought in about 1988. And he's still more famous yeah. than probably any boxer except for the two guys who were in the ring for the main event. That says something. Boxing needs to ha- needs to do something to make itself relevant and make itself enticing for people. And sticking with the old standbys, sticking with boxing with the all the old ways. I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not arguing, Don, for change the sport. I'm not arguing for changing what the guys in the in the ring are doing. I'm not saying they should start kicking or you should be allowed to backhand punch. The sport can stay the same, but it's the peripheral stuff you can fix. Yeah, I know, but you know, I and I, I agree with you. I mean, I I hear you. I mean, that would certainly change it. I uh, if in fact it needs changing, but it's it it's not the scoring that's hurt the sport. There are no dynamic personalities in the sport anymore. That too. I mean, you got to be my age and maybe your age. Remember Ali? Um, I was in Bahamas when we went in to watch Trevor Burbick training. You couldn't get in to see uh, uh, Ali, but Trevor Burbick didn't have a big crowd there. A bunch of us Canadians in there. And it was a lot of fun. And, you know, th- there's no personalities really left in it. And I don't. I don't know why. I don't. I mean, some of those boxers were bigger than life. I mean, there were people that couldn't wait for the next Ali Frazier oh, yeah. fight. Oh yeah. Now the problem is that's the seventies. So but this thing's been in trouble uh, for a long time. Remember one other thing, though, Don. Remember one other thing about boxing back then. Ali. What do Ali Frazier, Foreman, Leonard, Holmes, uh, yeah. uh, Hagler, Hearns, Foreman. Did you say? I said Foreman. What do all those guys have in common? They're all American. They were all yeah. homegrown guys. Now there were others. There was Roberto Duran and there were Lennox Lewis and others. But the vast majority of the biggest name boxers in the world were American guys. Were North American guys even. Now all the heavyweights that you know, who do you know? The Klitschko brothers, who are they've been? I think one of them just retired. But well, they've like been the McGuire twins from wrestling. <laughs> they've been terrific fighters, but they have no personality, and you don't know anything about them, and they're not people you you associate with or so you need to have a Mike Tyson come along now again I'm not talking about Mike Tyson the person Mike Tyson the person did some horrendous things but well, Mike, Mike Tyson Ty- Mike the fighter? Tyson the boxer was a personality yep. he walked into the ring he didn't have a uh, scared the crap out of everybody he didn't have he a cape on he you know he just walked in with black shorts got up and beat the snot out of whoever he was and when he was hungry he'd gnaw on them <laughs> now as we go to break though did you happen to see in the undercard, because I know you uh, you called it a night early, but did you happen to see on Saturday the guy who showed up with the blue fur hood uh, cape on? Yes. He walked in, and my initial reaction was that he was being sponsored by Sesame Street, that he looked like the Cookie Monster. He had a blue Cookie Monster colored blue puffy fur hood hat thing and shorts with fur down the side that match and I thought that's a cute look 
this, really. is, this is what boxing's come to. <laughs> not that all that menacing, is it? No. When you come in looking like a Muppet. <laughs> uh, I mean, at least Floyd Mayweather came in looking like something between Darth Vader and a ninja with a face covered by black stuff and all a black outfit. At least he looked menacing-ish, which a boxer is supposed to look sort of scary and menacing. You're not supposed to look like a fuzzy puppet. Trying, well, Mayweather's at least still trying to eject some personality into it, even if it was humorous. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, the whole, you know what the the sad part about this is? May, uh, McGregor, more than likely now, will go back to MMA because- He can go wherever he wants, get he $100 million. I know, he can. But what fighter is he going to stick around to fight now? What boxer? I mean, what boxer? And the other part about this- He could be champion. Mm, I don't know. He went 10 rounds with- I know, I know, but I'm not sure. But the the, the other part about this- what I wish out of this, McGregor let me down. Because I was hoping that at the end of this thing, McGregor was going to not get all nicey-nicey smiles and chuckles. I was hoping that McGregor was going to be Conor McGregor and say, fine, little Floyd, I came into your world and played your little boxing game. Now you come into my world, let's have a rematch in the cage. See, that people would have tuned in. You think people would, Don, people... Not, I mean, Conor McGregor has his folks that don't love him, but there's a lot of people that hate Floyd Mayweather. They would pay good money to see Floyd Mayweather get into a cage and get the snot kicked out of him because he would. If he got in there, he would lose in two minutes. My guess is Floyd Mayweather got $300 million for that fight. Yep. If they said, you have to get into the ring with uh, just tape on your hands, basically, the MMA guys. The $300 million wouldn't be the deposit it would take to get him to do it. Uh, no, because he knows. He knows he would get smushed. And people listening going, no, a good boxer. The, uh, the UFC... Well, he'd put his hands in front of his face and, and McGregor would kick his legs off from under him. The UFC began... The original UFC was a competition where they took one boxer, one wrestler, one judo, one whatever, and they put them all in a tournament to see who was the best fighter. And you want to know who was the first and biggest lopsided loss in that thing? The boxer. And he was a good boxer, but he had no clue what to do when it wasn't just hands. Floyd Mayweather is a great boxer, there's no question, but he would lose in under two minutes in the cage. Unquestionable. And not just to, to Conor McGregor. You could, Floyd Mayweather could pick from the top 25 guys in that weight class in the UFC and every single one of them would beat him in under two minutes. It would be like Tom Brady trying to pitch for the Boston Red Sox. He might actually be okay. It'd be like me trying to pitch for the Red Sox. <laughs> that might not be okay. Yeah, that would not be okay for sure. I, I've, I've already tried stopping pucks for a hockey team in town and uh, that went particularly poorly. Imagine trying to do it for, uh, with a, at a big league level. Johnny Bauer goalie pads. I remember it. Actually, Richard Brodeur. The old oh. DNR tan goalie pads. That's why I bought them. I loved Richard Brodeur. The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.